politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. This administration is talking about shutting down pipelines. That's right, shutting down the Line 5 pipeline. Literally, in the as we're getting ready for winter, it's as if this administration is just determined to make things as expensive as possible, isn't it? Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you this afternoon. Just a podcast note, there will not be a podcast tomorrow. I have some high-level meetings I must attend, but... Be back as soon as humanly possible. Uh, yeah, the Biden administration thinking to themselves, yeah, let's shut down, uh, let's shut down, you know, we're studying, studying this. This is White House spokesperson Jean-Pierre acknowledging what we've all talked about and what we've all kind of known here. Is it is it being studied right now? Is the administration studying the impact of shutting down yeah. the line five? Yes, so, we are. We are. Is that what's inaccurate? Well, I thought you were saying that we were going to shut it down, but that is that is not inaccurate. Okay, great, 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 great. But I'll, the Army Corps of Engineers is preparing an environmental impact to look through this. And thinking about maybe shutting it down. That's the thing. They're po- possibly shutting it down. Maybe, maybe shutting it down. It's very, very possible. They're looking at it, you know, just in term, really, just in time for Christmas. Hey, why not, right? Why not? I mean, what what's the problem? I'm sure the White House has a big plan right now to do something, to do something to lower gas prices, right? I mean, surely they must have a plan. And don't call me surely. I mean, after looking at how they were just shellacked on election night, they must have a plan. You would think so. I would think so. We'd all think they have a plan, right? They they have a plan, right? Okay, and on what the Secretary General and what she was saying yesterday, what options besides tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve does the president have to counteract higher gas prices? So, um, you know, we've t- I've talked about this a couple of times. You know, we we have we don't have an announcement yet on anything uh, on anything to share at this time. Uh, you know, but we're we're monitoring it, right? We're monitoring the the prices, and we're making sure that we have tools in our tool belts that we can uh, we can uh, we can try and, and and use. But at this at this time, I don't have anything new uh, to to share. Whatever you review, okay. So no, Secretary no, General no. has confirmed that is an option that's on the table, and the president yeah. has said there right. are other tools that he could potentially use. So could you just lay out what those other options are that he's considering? So I don't. Again, I don't. I don't have anything specific here. The president spoke to this recently, uh, but he's also asked FTC to crack down on illegal pricing, right? That is one thing that he did on gouging in the market, and the FTC is responding. But also, we're going to continue to monitor the situation and have a number of tools in our arsenal, as I just mentioned. I don't have anything specific. I don't have anything specific. Price gouging? Is that what she thinks is going on? Price gouging. Price gouging. That's the administration's answer right now. Price gouging. Okay, sure. We're decided now we're going to try to raise price. Everybody, we're all going to raise prices as much as possible right now. And nobody's thinking of undercutting it. Nobody's thinking that maybe if they're the ones who come in and undercut it, that that would be a smart thing to do. No, no, no. They're all in on the price gouging. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <coughs> Man, I don't really even know what these people, honestly. Uh, it's all about climate change. This is all about driving up the price of oil, driving up the price of gas. It's what it all is. It's all about that. Look, if you don't believe me, you should. Barack Obama was over in Glasgow at the World Climate Summit. And he begins, of course, by going on about how terrible the last administration was, taking shots at Trump. Of course, he's got to take shots at Trump. Trump started climate change. He did. He's destroying the world. Just his very presence 
His very presence is destroying the planet. You know this, right? You know this. Come on. You know this. Now, back in the United States, of course, some of our progress stalled when my successor decided to unilaterally pull out of the Paris Agreement in his first year in office. I wasn't real happy about that. And yet, the determination of our state and local governments, along with the regulations and investment that my administration had already put in place, allowed our country to keep moving forward, despite hostility from the White House. The $90 billion investment that we made in 2009 helped to jumpstart the clean energy industry in the United States. He and markets everything. adapted he and so did consumers. Save the world, right? And so even when here? the Trump administration rolled back emissions requirements for automakers, along with regulatory changes and efficiency standards, many businesses chose to stay the course. They kept reducing emissions. They continued the transition to electric vehicles. So what's the problem? And energy-saving appliances. And what's the problem? The ball had been rolling. And it didn't stop. And meanwhile, science and technology continued to advance. Okay. So today, the price of solar and wind energy has dropped to the point. So then what's the problem? Then? If, you, if, if all of this is so great and everything's wonderful, except that Trump came along and ruined everything, what's the problem? Why, why are you constantly whining about global warming and climate change then? Honestly, why? Why, why, why? Why is it always coming to the fact that they're constantly complaining about this stuff? Do you ever notice this? It's never, no matter what, all the wonderful things his administration did and everything, but it still wasn't enough and the world's still dying and the world's still burning, right? I am convinced that President Biden's Build Back Better bill will be historic. Of course. And a huge of course. plus for U.S. action on climate change. But keep in mind, Joe Biden wanted to do even more. Oh, he did. Well, then why didn't he? He's constrained by... Democrats. The absence of a robust majority that's needed to make that happen. Uh, it's, but it's Democrat majority, both, by the way. Both of us have been constrained, mm -hmm. in large part, by the fact that one of our two major parties has decided not only to sit on the sidelines, but express active hostility toward climate. I'm sorry, who is in charge uh, right now in Washington? Last time I checked, the Democrats said the House and the Senate and the White House. They can't get it done, but he's blaming Republicans. Why don't you blame the fact that, you're, that, that Biden can't get it done? They don't like the guy. They don't want to deal with the guy. He is incapable of getting it done with your own party. Why don't you talk about the fact that you've got whack jobs running the party, as usual, and... They, they, they're just completely off the reservation. So you've got one person of reason, Joe Manchin, left, and that's it. Talk about that. Uh, it's enough. I can barely take it, honestly, to be honest with you. Uh, let me turn to a local issue. In Pennsylvania, they just announced a short time ago, Governor Tom Wolf uh, will allow local school districts by mid-January to make decisions on masking. So it'll be up to the local school district. I give them credit because it should be up to the local school district. I mean, it really should be up to the parents, but it certainly should not be up to the state. But he's learning. I mean, he learned a lesson from what happened last week, right? He learned a lesson from what maybe he did or maybe he didn't. I don't know. It's hard to say with this guy. But maybe he learned a lesson what happened. And realizing now that there's such a pushback that if Democrats in Pennsylvania want to have a prayer uh, in 2022, they better stop making all these parents upset and all these parents angry with them. They should probably stop that. So maybe he learned that lesson. I don't know. It's hard to say. I know in Jersey, the other guy, the king, uh, king unaccountable, King Philip the Unaccountable has not learned that lesson. 
Uh, today, the White House was asked the question of when can these COVID mandates and restrictions come to an end? Now that, I mean, the, the rates are so incredibly low right now. Everybody is living their normal life. Have you noticed this? Everywhere you go, there's conventions again. It's a beautiful thing. The teachers just had their big convention in Atlantic City. How many masks do you think were, 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 were being worn during the convention? Oh, maybe at the business meetings. But, you know, not at the bars and the restaurants and everywhere else where they were all partying at night bunch of hypocrites so when can this all come to an end when can they finally take their hand off the lever of control this is the white house press person today do you have an idea of when the pandemic could become an endemic uh you know could could cease to be a pandemic and what would that what what does the end game look like at this point yeah i i i do not know i would refer you to public health experts the cdc i that's not something that we're zeroing in on our focus is to make sure we do everything we can to save lives and get people vaccinated yeah, you see, now that's that's the thing right there. I mean, it, listen, really, 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 uh, no matter what, don't worry about it. I mean, you know, it's not up to us to say. We're really, it's just them. Let them, they'll decide, they'll decide. This is the White House. They're supposed to be in charge of running the effort, right? You think they would have something, at least, from the people at the CDC or the FDA. The truth is, it is entirely a political decision and not a medical decision. You know this, and I know this. This is about when they want to give up control. And, they, and the answer is never, by the way, never. You could have 100% vaccination and it still won't be enough. It won't be enough. It'll never be enough. Look, you want to prove you King Philip the Unaccountable, like I said, over the weekend, I'm with uh, Chuck Todd, and the, the Chuck Todd asking him the question, when can we get rid of mask mandates in schools? When can this be, your highness? When can this be? Mandate fatigue. Everybody has it. I think you know it. Probably people that abide by the rules have it. Uh, considering that that seemed to be a little bit of a motivator for some, are you at all thinking about some relief on any of your mandates. Listen, there's mandate fatigue everywhere, including with yours truly, so let there be no doubt about that. Um, at the moment, no, but my, my hope is particularly with our kids under the age of 12 that now being able to get the vaccine that we will at some day sooner than later be able to lift the mask mandate someday that we have in schools. Rather than later. That is my fervent hope. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet. Uh, but please, God, we can get there sooner than later. we got to get there safely, responsibly, but I believe we can get there, and I hope it's sooner than later. All right, Governor Phil Murphy, sooner Democrat from New Jersey, who did or make history, the first Democrat to win re-election in New Jersey since oh, that. shut up. He didn't win yet. He hasn't won yet. He, 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 we haven't, we haven't, he hasn't officially won because Cittarelli is still going on, and the count is not, is not over, Chuck Todd. As, as excited as you get, as, as excited as you may get, Speaking of which, um, so in New Jersey, in but let me before I get to that, let me just let me just swim in this for a second. So, of all the people who are powerful, hungry, powered tyrants, uh, Phil Murphy is probably at the top of the list, right? At the top of the list. This is a guy who loves to make decisions for everybody. He's a guy who loves to make decisions for everybody, and there's no doubt in my mind that he is very, very nervous right now of giving up the power because he wants to run for president. And he wants to show the left that he is even more Gavin Newsom than Gavin Newsom is, really, truly, when it comes to decisions and controlling the life of you and your children. Because the left loves that stuff. They really do. They love it. The hardcore base, oh yeah, they love it. Right now, they're already screaming that five-year-olds haven't been vaccinated yet. The decision came down on Friday. So knowing that, you can understand why a lot of people are nervous that with another term, Murphy will get even more crazy liberal and even more crazy totalitarian. I'm one of those people very concerned about that fact. Let's face it, schools, 
They're not super spreader events. They weren't last year during COVID. They're not now. Teachers are vaccinated if they want to be. Why do we still have kids in masks? Why? Because it's a control factor. That's what it is. It's control. Now, in the 3rd District of New Jersey, Senator Steve Sweeney, who lost the election to Ed Durr, uh, said he'll announce tomorrow his potential concession. He said, quote, they're counting the votes as we speak. I just want the votes counted, he said, shortly before convening the legislature for the lame duck session today. There could be a large number of votes. There could be no votes. But the point is, let us count the votes. I've earned that. Ed Durr, by the way, got a call from President Trump earlier today. Sweeney was seen as the heavy favorite. This is from uh, David Wildstein's site, NJ Globe. Sweeney was seen as the heavy favorite for re-election against Durr, commercial truck driver. But we don't know how many votes are out there. This is the problem. We've heard anywhere from 5,000 votes to 12,000 votes. We have no idea. They're counting, he says. They're counting. Well, let Jack Chitarelli continue counting, too. Let let Jack continue the count as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult for Steve Sweeney to acknowledge the fact that he lost this race to Ed Durr. And so if votes start showing up, well, it's Jersey. What are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? Votes just happen to show up sometimes. You know, it's just one of those things. I'm just saying. It's just like, you know, I mean, nothing nothing surprises me in the world. Nothing. I don't know if you can hear this or not. This is from Gloucester County GOP posting this on the Facebook page. This is President Trump calling Edward Durr, the newly elected senator. Thank you very much, sir. Well, you take care. Anything I can do, you let me know, okay? Let me know. Oh, my God. Thank you very much, sir. And you know you can call me at any time. Well, I know that, and, and I know you say great things. And- there you go. Now, you know what's really cool about that, too, is that uh, he should get him in for a fundraiser. Why not? Trump said anything I can do for you. He should say, come on and for a fundraiser for me. What do you think? No, that's that's really neat. It's uh, good for him, by the way. Very, very good for him. I think it's great. It's it's uh, it's great news that he won and he's officially won. So it's it's really good. Um, it's it's a it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli podcast. <clears throat> All right. Now, I like uh, comedy as much as you do. I'm sure as much as the next person. But Saturday Night Live is not funny, and they haven't been funny for a very, very long time. Their ratings are terrible. Their ratings are in the tank. Uh, this weekend, they not only started off the show by doing a, a, a skit with President Trump, of course, because they just can't help but bring up Trump uh, constantly. Uh, they also had Goober the Clown, who had an abortion when she was 23. So, yeah, this is where Saturday Night Live's going with this. And, of course, the left thinks this is so bold and braze. Oh, my. Oh, oh, it's so amazing. Let's have some good old abortion humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to hear a little bit of this? I mean, I, I have to play it just because it's it's just, it's cringeworthy. But it's also showing you just how bad it is. And again, this is where comedy has completely become uh, political. I mean, it's not, it, it just completely become political. They know that half the country is divided on this issue. Uh, actually, it's not true. There's more pro-life people than pro-choice people in this country. There really are. More people are pro-life than pro-abortion when you look at the numbers. But uh but nevertheless, let's even if you assume it's 50-50, what, why turn off half the country? But this is what co- comedians do nowadays in late night comedy. It's about pushing a left agenda. They don't make jokes that are funny from the perspective of the right. No, they would never do that. They barely make any jokes about Joe Biden. I'm certainly not going to make any jokes about Joe Biden crapping his pants over at the Vatican or, you know, ripping one with the queen or anything like that. No, what they do are they do jokes that advance their leftist agenda. And that's why it's not funny, because it's always from the perspective of an agenda constantly. And this one's just not funny. It's not even funny. 
This is just cringeworthy. The Supreme Court heard arguments this week in Women's Whole Health v. Texas about the controversial Texas law that essentially bans all abortions after just six weeks. Here to cheer us up, well, this can't be right, Goober the Clown, who had an abortion when she was 23. Hey, 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 hey. I'm Goober the Clown. So, Goober, you, you had an abortion when you were 23? <laughs> Slow down. I'm a clown. Let's clown around. Hey, smell this flower. You're not going to squirt me, are you? Oh, I would never. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. I had an abortion the day before my 23rd birthday. Okay. It, it seems like you do want to talk about your abortion. Well, actually, I really don't. But people keep bringing it up, so I got to keep talking about freaking abortion. But it's a rough subject, so we're going to do fun clown stuff to make it more palatable. Wee! She's spinning her clown animal. tie. You want a giraffe? Okay. <laughs> you, you don't have to do this, Cecily. Cecily, I'm Goober. And I wish I didn't have to do this, because the abortion I had at 23 is my personal clown business. But that's all some people in this country want to discuss all the time. Even though clown abortion was legalized in Clown v. Wade in 1973. Here. Can you stop saying clown abortion? And what is this? I don't know. It's a worm. I don't know. Hey, hey, did you know one in three clowns will have a clown abortion in their lifetime? You don't, because they don't tell you. They don't even know how to talk to other clowns about it. Because when they do talk about it, if you were a clown who wasn't the victim of something sad like clown says, they think your clown abortion wasn't a righteous clown. I mean, it's it's not it's not even funny. It really it's not even. I mean, is this? I don't know. Do you do you find this funny? I don't. I don't. Clown abortion. I mean, what the dick is that? <laughs> I don't think you can say that word on the show. What abortion? Well, I guess kind of. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Colin. We're having fun. Just laugh. Hey, pull my finger. Uh, no. Laugh. I need it. I need you to laugh so hard, like the way I laughed when the doctor asked if I got pregnant on the way over to the clinic because I wasn't very far along. And that is one of my favorite jokes to this day. I love that joke. It's such a good joke. Not like a funny ha-ha joke, but like a funny you're not an awful person and your life isn't over now joke. The best kind. A honka honka. Good horn. Good horn. Killer horn. <laughs> I'm not a clown. And in the waiting room, they had a little guest book where all the clowns could write their clown abortion story for the next clown to read it so she wouldn't feel so alone. A wooga! And then years later, you'll be at a dinner with a big group of clowns. One clown will go out on a limb and say she's had an abortion. And then, like, eight other clowns at the table say they've had an abortion, too, because that's how common it is. And then everyone's excited and relieved to be talking about it. Then it's like, wow, we kept this secret. This is, I mean, this is, this is... Ah, cringe, cringeworthy. I mean, it's cringeworthy. Not even from the fact of a pro-life perspective. Isn't it cringeworthy just from a comedy perspective? This is a, this is a, this is a comedy abortion, is what it is. Really, it is. It really is. That's what this is—a comedy abortion. It's it's awful. I can't even play the rest of it. But I, I'm kind of now because it's one of those things where you've seen a train wreck and you kind of want to watch the whole thing just because it's so bad. Like, how do they? Where do they go with this? Is my question. Where do you? Where do you go? This is clearly again pushing. Pushing an agenda and trying to normalize something, and, and this is this is the new thing with comedy nowadays. This is what uh, we take, I guess, for comedy in this country these days. For so long, despite being so grateful, it happened. Honka, honka, honka. So, um, wait, are are clowns really women? 
Excuse me? Wow, okay, Colin Joes thinks women are clowns. Cool. That's not what I said. Let me do some helium. Okay, Colin, here's my truth. I know I wouldn't be a clown on TV here today if it weren't for the abortion I had the day before my 23rd birthday. Clowns have been helping each other end their pregnancies since the caves. It's going to happen, so it ought to be safe, legal, and accessible. We will not go back to the alley. I mean, the last thing anyone wants is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. You were the clown, everyone. Yeah, better disable comments. Dead clowns in an alley. And you know what this also is, too, is this is what the left also does with the whole fear factor thing about the Texas law and then the end of abortion uh, as as we know it. Uh which is which is which is insane that the idea that if the Supreme Court ever shot down Roe v. Wade, it wouldn't be legal in California and New York and sadly New Jersey and other places like that. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. But it, it it's not about even being safe, legal, and rare, like what Bill Clinton said in 1992. Now it's all the time, whenever, for as long in the pregnancy as possible, and they want it celebrated. They want people marching and celebrating it and and cheering it on and. Uh, the, the reality is they don't want it to be a private decision. They don't. They they want people on TV bragging about it. They make movies about it now. It's it's. They just want it to be, you know, like a normal medical procedure. That's what they want. I I, I just miss miss when comedy was funny. I, you know what I mean? I I understand that they constantly these are people that love to push their agendas and they love to do it. But I I can't understand why it is that we've got to be subjected to something that's so incredibly callous, and at least if it's going to be so incredibly callous, they couldn't even make it just a little bit of fun. But because you can't make that topic funny, that's why. It's not a funny topic. It's it's not. It's a heartbreaking topic. There's nothing funny about it. It's a heartbreaking topic. And this is where I just feel like maybe you, you, I'm not saying you cancel the show and I'm not saying, you know, oh, my God, take Saturday Night Live off the air. I'm not, I'm, I'm not pushing cancel culture. I'm just I'm critiquing it. I'm critiquing it and I'm critiquing it and giving it a giant F because it's terrible. Uh, speaking of terrible, Pete Buttigieg, uh, reporter April Ryan just asked him, what can we do now about. The racism in the roadways. Okay, April Ryan from, uh, what is she? She's NPR, I believe, April Ryan. Is that right now? Uh, it's uh, it's a C- oh, CNN. Okay, she's CNN. My apologies. Might as well be NPR. What can we do about the racism that's built into the roadways? Okay, all right? Racist roadways. Here we, here we go. Us the construct of how you will deconstruct the racism that was built into the roadways that you talked to the grill earlier when you broke that information with us. Can you talk to us about how that could be deconstructed? For sure, yeah. So the principle of Justice 40 is that at least 40% of the clean investments in this bill will go to benefit the communities that are overburdened overburdened and, and underserved. So part one of that is defining those those investments that are eligible, and that's a lot of it, and we're working to map out kind of program by program, mode by mode, uh, what would qualify. For example, if we're uh, buying clean buses, right, how do we make sure in terms of where those buses go, but also looking at the business opportunity, the jobs that are going to be created, the businesses that, that uh, will have a chance to compete uh, for, for the business opportunities it creates, that too I think is a very important element of equity here that's in the spirit of Justice 40. And again, we have a lot of guidance and oversight from the White House since that's an administration-wide initiative. But we know that we've got to build our own internal uh, kind of ways of, of uh, aligning and defining that inside the administration. As to where we target those those dollars, you know, I, I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if 
a highway was built for the purpose of dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or there would have been, uh, in New York was, was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Um, I don't think we have anything to lose by confronting that simple reality, and I think we have everything to gain by acknowledging it and then dealing with it, which is why the reconnecting communities, that billion dollars, is something we want to get to work right away uh, uh, putting to work. But that's such a heavy lift. I mean, you have to reconstruct communities that this happened to. As you said, some of these beltways and, and interstates and roadways were built before the Civil Rights Act, before the Voting Rights Act, and were made meant to be racist. But how do you go about redefining and replanning these roadways and communities that are... Did, did you know this, by the way, that, that these things were, were racist, racist overpasses and racist highways? Did you know that? I mean, literally everything's racist now. Even the ground under your feet is racist. That's what, you just look down, look down. You see it? Racist. Look up, racist. There's a bridge, an overpass, that's racist too. Got it? The beach is racist. And uh, and also uh, the parking lot's racist. It gets really hot, and that, that's hot on people's feet. Which is, and they can't, they don't have shoes, and it's racist. And I mean, you would just, where, where does it stop? Where does it stop? Everything. Already settled in. Yeah. Um, so I mean, what's interesting is it's going to vary by community and we have to listen to the community. Sometimes it really is the case that an overpass went in a certain way that is so harmful that it's got to come down or maybe be put underground. Other times, maybe it's not that way. Maybe the really important thing is to connect across it, to add rather than subtract. And that's where we don't want to impose a one-size-fits-all answer uh, from here. But when we were out in An overpass might be racist. An overpass because a bus couldn't get under it. Uh, what if it was other decisions, like maybe economics, or, or maybe because of the weight of the road, couldn't couldn't handle buses, or aren't there lots of other reasons why maybe it's there besides being you know racist? I'm just throwing it out there. And when, and since when did just white people have cars? Last time I checked, cars are pretty race neutral. Is also the point that I'd like to make here. So what I can't figure out right now is what they're saying with that. That's something I can't understand. But hey, listen. I mean, go with this. I guess run with it. Why not? Syracuse, for example, looking at I-81, we saw the local vision uh, for how they want to get past those divisions, and those local ideas are going to be taken very seriously as we try to meet the spirit of this law. Thank you, Secretary. Thank you, Secretary Buttigieg. Now, can you get gas prices down, please? Could you get? Could you work on that for us? Could you get gas prices down? Look, I don't. I'm not. I'm not an idiot. I know that they they obviously did planning, um, urban planning in a certain way. But remember, the, the segregation you see is government segregation because government decided to come along with all their utopian affordable housing and everything else that they did. And they wound up segregating communities. It wasn't the roads as much as it was the plans by people who were all these visionaries to create neighborhoods and create housing. And so by which then they had to destroy other neighborhoods to create the housing. And inevitably, highways would divide because they planned, the government planned to put people in segregated areas and segregated housing. That's what the projects were all about in many different places. Now, projects also had a lot of poor kids, too, who were white. My dad's one of them who grew up in the projects. But uh, forget that. I mean, forget that whole point. It's just literally they planned roads and bridges around being racist, even though many of those overpasses were built 100 years ago. Look at them. They were. That's why they're being replaced. Many of them were built 100 years ago. Many of them were built 75 years ago, 50 years ago. And maybe maybe racism had nothing to do with it. But let's assume all of them are racist. Take them all down. Take all overpasses down. Make it as incredibly complicated and expensive as you possibly can. 
And then realize then that it will just rise, drive up the price of cars. And, and, and then everybody will take buses, which is also the other goal too. Uh, the other goal is also to get people out of their cars and into buses. But let me ask you, really think about it from the perspective of Philadelphia. Can you not get to a beach on a bus from Philadelphia? Can you not get out of the city or is there an over an overpass or an underpass that blocks the bus from leaving at any point? Is there not a beach that you can get to? I mean, the Garden State Parkway, maybe that's racist too because the Garden State Parkway doesn't allow trucks and, uh, and, and I believe buses of a certain height. Double-decker buses. Maybe we're racist against London because they have those big fancy double-decker buses. I, I don't know. Maybe that's possible. That I could... You know, that you can kind of get behind a little bit because that whole burn down the White House thing. But this is the priority right now. The priority right now is racist roads and bridges. And and, and this is this is the phony culture war that, that Barack Obama was yelling about, right? The phony culture war, except it's literally what they're doing, is trying to divide everybody again. Trying to divide everybody again. And so you turn around and you go, wait a second, I don't understand. Every ounce of segregation that we have was always government made it is it's always government made from jim crow up to housing communities and various affordable housing and projects and everything else like this now now it's the roads and the bridges and yes certain highways do divide those communities but those communities were planned in many cases before the highways in many cases the highways were built to accommodate those communities but is the answer really is the answer now to change the highways and the roads and the bridges, or is the answer now to figure out economic policies that will enable people to be able to move out of those areas? Like, I don't know, let me think about one, for example, um, school choice. Right, school choice, which would elevate kids and get them out of those neighborhoods. Republicans are all for that. Conservatives are all for that. Really, if you've got neighborhoods where the terrible schools are, it's the Democrats who want to keep the kids in those schools. It's the Democrats who want to keep people in those areas on assistance. Well, it is. It's the Democrats with that mindset who want to keep people on government assistance and in failing government schools. And we're worried about overpasses. You can find another way around an overpass. Last time I checked, it's not that this is, oh, sorry, kids, there's no other way to go. You can go around things. Uh, Yes, there are very few roads that are literally just one way. Literally very few of them. Where that's it. You hit an overpass now. Sorry, uh, they're blocking us all in here. They're keeping us all in this community because of the color of our skin and we can't get out. There's no way out. Oh, these people are amazing. And then ask them, say, how do we give kids an overpass or underpass out of their failing schools in those communities, which are a lot of the community of color? And they won't say a damn word about it. All they'll do is turn around and say, we got to throw more money at it. Just throw more money at them. That's how. You know, we've got a problem in this country right now where we have a problem with um, employers being able to find people to work jobs and they're willing to find people of every creed and color and race and national origin, um, but they can't right now. And a big part of that is, again, because of government with all the assistance that was handed out and how many millions of Americans, white, black, and every other race, creed, and color all have lots of months of money in the bank accounts and don't need to work right now. So this is part of the problem that's also happening right now. But let's all yell about uh, uh, racist overpasses and and roads and bridges. It's absolutely amazing to me. Oh, I should also mention to you too, Aaron Rodgers, State Farm Insurance has just spoken out and they said they will not drop Aaron Rodgers as their spokesman, which is good. I, I, I salute them. Bravo, bravo to State Farm Insurance for that. State Farm said, while we disagree with some of the opinions that were said by Aaron Rodgers, uh, some of the things that were said, we respect his right to have an opinion. He's allowed to have an opinion. Imagine that. Look at that. Freedom. 
you're allowed to have an opinion. Well, I just think that that's just wonderful, isn't it? Maybe we could have more things like that in life where people are allowed to have opinions on things, huh? Um, what else do we say that I, I need to update you on today? There's some other things, too, I should mention. More of this crazy, wacky White House press conference with racist roads and bridges and uh, Jean-Pierre, the acting White House press secretary, speaking out. But I think I've given you some good updates on the day today. I hope so anyway. I hope I have because that's my job anyway. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So if gas prices don't go down and oil prices go up, uh, this administration is going to have a big problem. Democrats are going to have a big problem. But I said it to you earlier. I don't think they care. And the reason why I said that earlier is because uh, for them, it's about getting the agenda through much more than it is about getting reelected, which I know sounds insane, but that's just the reality of it. Let, let, let me make, make a point on this, right? Think about vaccinating kids five five years old, five, ages five through 11, which they just passed now, of course, the, the ability now for parents to do that. A lot of parents don't know what to do. They have questions, okay? Dr. Nicole Sapphire and Dr. Marty McCari wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, should you vaccinate your five-year-old? Be reassured that whatever you do, the risk is extremely low. And they point out in here that uh, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates, 42% of U.S. children ages 5 to 11 had COVID by June of 2021, before the Delta wave, a prevalence that is likely greater than 50% today. Of 28 million children in that age range, 94 have died of COVID since the pandemic began, including deaths before newer treatments. And 562 have been hospitalized with COVID infections. Okay, out of out of 28 million children in, in that in that range. All right. Serious complications are so uncommon in that age range that of 2,186 children in the Pfizer vaccine study, no child in either the vaccine or the placebo group developed severe illness from COVID. 16 of the 663 unvaccinated children developed COVID infections compared with only three of the 1,300 vaccinated ones, an effectiveness rate of about 90% against infection. Thus, it's safe to assume that vaccinating a healthy child would take his extremely low risk of serious disease and drive it down even lower. There is an important exception, though. If a child already had COVID, there's no scientific basis for vaccination. Deep within the 80-page Pfizer report is this crucial line, quote, no cases of COVID-19 were observed in either the vaccine group or the placebo group in participants with evidence of prior SARS-CoV-2 infection, end quote. Now, that's consistent, they write, with the largest population-based study on the topic, which found that natural immunity was 27 times as effective as vaccinated immunity in preventing symptomatic covid Natural immunity is likely even more robust in children, given their stronger immune systems. An indiscriminate COVID vaccine mandate may result in unintended harm among children with natural immunity. Now, do you think they'll care, though? Do you think the left will care? Do you think the left will care? The answer is no. And I'll tell you why. They're going to do a vaccine mandate in California. They're doing a vaccine mandate in New York City for kids. And so that means, again, if you are a lefty and you want to become president, and you want power, and that's what this is all about for these people is power, then you've got to do it too, which is why Phil Murphy will wind up doing it and other Democrats with ambitions will wind up doing it. Republican states won't. This is entirely about Democrats we're talking about here. There, there isn't a Republican in his right mind who would do a vaccine mandate for children at this point. 
Now, maybe I'm I'm wrong, and if I am, let me know, because, I mean, you never know about that guy in Ohio, but I, mean, I assume my friends in Ohio, the Zoli Army, Ohio Battalion, would let me know about that right away if that was the case, but... So knowing this then, think about this now. Knowing this then, why would we even decide to do a vaccine mandate with kids? As with adults, they write, pediatric COVID deaths and hospitalizations tend to come among those with comorbidities. In other words, Aaron Rodgers is not dying of COVID. He's one of the healthiest, fittest guys on the planet. He's not dying of COVID. I mentioned to you, I think I did, State Farm is staying with Aaron Rodgers, by the way. They are staying with Aaron Rodgers. They have said that they're going to back him. I can't remember these days what I say and what I don't, but that's because of the children. But anyway, they're staying with him. They said, look, we disagree, but it was entirely his own opinion, and that's that. Side effects in the study were significant, but not life-threatening. The overall adverse event rate following vaccination in the Pfizer study was 10.9%, notably fever, which occurred in 6.5% of kids following the second vaccine dose. One case of leg numbness was reported in the vaccine group. Now, they'd like to know if the adverse events were clustered in children who had circulating antibodies from prior COVID infection. But Pfizer didn't provide that data. There were no cases of myocarditis, which is heart inflammation, but the sample size was too small to rule out a complication that was found in one in 7,000 adolescent boys. That's the other thing, too. And I said this to somebody today. I said, look, reality is this vaccine is going to have to be out there for a while before we, we know. It's just the samples are not big enough for us to know really about the side effects. So I think a lot of parents, if their kids are healthy, are taking a wait and see approach. Just wait and see. Maybe maybe do it down the road. Maybe just not now. This is interesting, too. Vaccine complications in children can be mitigated by spacing out the doses. Complications are clustered after the second dose, and research in older patients shows that a longer interval between doses results in stronger immunity. Another recent study showed that delaying the second vaccine dose in younger adults not only resulted in stronger immunity, but it also decreased the mild side effects following the second dose. Moreover, one Israeli study found that a single Pfizer dose was 100% effective against infection in children ages 12 to 15. But the question, of course, that I have is, will that matter to the left? In other words, will they say, oh, no, it's got to be two doses or your, your kid's not considered to be uh, fully vaccinated, fully immunized? Here's something else, too. Are they going to just bust our chops to the point where parents will just succumb? You're taking your daughter to a play, and uh, they have a vaccine requirement, but if they can't, then they have to get the kids tested the day before, so now we got to shove a Q-tip up their nose if they want to go see a play. Because if that's the case, then I think I'm out. I have no interest in doing that. I'm not going to be bullied into making a decision for my kids' medical health. I'm not going to be. I refuse to be. But that's what's happening, though, and you see this happening right now. You're seeing this right now. You're seeing that r kids right now uh, are being made to wear masks. And what it's going to be is, well, if your kids get vaccinated, maybe we'll think we'll take the masks off, right? And then it'll be a situation of, well, you know, if they don't get vaccinated, then before they get on a plane, they'll have to be tested and double tested and put into a laboratory and they'll have to run around a cage with rats and the rats have to eat cheese off their face. And then maybe we'll let them come on the plane. I just can't stand the bullying. I really can't stand it. Oh, um, no, shocker. Democrats look to move forward on social spending bill. So those Republicans who decided to vote with the Democrats on the infrastructure bill, and I told you that what they were doing now was giving the left the door to open to pass the social safety net bill. Sure enough, that's what exactly what they're looking to do right now. Now the Democrats, since they got infrastructure, now they're going to try to push through the reconciliation bill. That's what's coming next. And boy, is that going to be so expensive. That's going to be really, really expensive for a lot of people. 
But, you know, listen, Republicans went along with it. Why did they go along with it? Because they still believe that that sometimes giving into the left helps them. But why don't they ever learn from Democrats who realize that when they they never give into the left, they never do, or excuse me, give into the right, and they wind up winning among their base. Think about it. They wind up winning among their base. Some of these Republicans who wind up, and don't get me wrong, sometimes there's a place for bipartisanship. I just don't think this was it. Not knowing what was coming next. Not knowing that the next thing that was going to come was going to be this massive social spending bill, which is exactly what they're talking about in Washington right now. Even though Biden's approval has dropped, if it goes any lower, uh, we're, we're going to have to, like, a, it'll be buried, literally buried, and we'll have to come and try to find it. I don't know, we'll have to get a team of uh, cadaver dogs or something to try to big up, dig up his approval rating, because that's how low it's getting right now. It might be in the 20s at this point. The 20s. That's it. I, I know, I know. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Oh, speaking of chuckles, uh, not chuckles the abortion clown. This is the vampiric one, Nancy Pelosi, yelling about people who were chuckling in the room. It will be one of the most significant legislative undertakings that any of us have ever been part of. And I say that with great proprietary uh, attitude toward the Affordable Care Act, where it's transformative and historic. This is even bigger than that. In fact, it strengthens the Affordable Care Act. So if you're talking about how we want to have immediate and enduring difference for the workers and families, creating jobs, securing middle-class tax cuts, lowering costs for families, and making the wealthiest pay their fair share, all the while contributing to reducing the national debt, making everyone pay their fair share. Did I hear a laugh over there? Did I hear a laugh from those who added $2 trillion in tax cuts for the richest people in America, 1%, 83% of it going to we the don't allow laughing 1%. Here. This <sighs> is paid for and more than paid don't for. Don't you, she wants to just rip necks off people. Honestly, she really does. There's no laughing in this room. There'll be no joy in this room. No joy. Have no joy. Hmm. I'll tell you what, if you ask me, I don't know, it just seems to me like one of the situations that we have right now is a lot of people in Washington that even though they're in power, they have no freaking sense of humor. You notice that they just have no sense of humor whatsoever. Uh, What do we do about the supply chain issues that are hurting our country right now? What do we do? What do we do with them? Well, Pete Buttigieg, when he wasn't calling Rhodes racist, was on CNN today with John Berman. And uh, I'm assuming the supply chain is probably racist as well, because some parts of the water have white caps on them. And, uh, you know, that's always a thing as well. And also pirates, racist, something. Anyway, what do we do about the supply chain issues, okay? How do we fix it? You're the Secretary of Transportation. Maybe stop worrying about racist overpasses. With 13 Republican votes, it's a bipartisan bill. There'll be some kind of signing ceremony at the White House soon. Uh, President Biden was talking about it over the weekend, and he was also talking about the ongoing supply chain issues. I want to play some of what he said. Let's listen. By the way, you all write for a living. I haven't seen any one of you explain supply chain very well. No, no, I'm not being critical. I'm being deadly earnest. I sincerely mean it. This is a confusing time. Why why is the supply chain the media's fault? 
You know, I, th- I think he's pointing out how complicated and difficult it is to explain. I-, I like to think I'm good at explaining things, and I find it incredibly difficult to account for all of the different things that are affecting our supply chains. Uh, you know, this is a private sector system, but it runs on public infrastructure. There are federal, state, and local roles. We're talking about every mode of transportation at once, and a, a lot of complex interactions where sometimes you see a lot of ships at anchor off of a port, and the issue might have very little to do with the ships and everything to do with the Crossing guards. That's it. We need aquatic crossing guards. Put a crossing guards on rafts who can go out there and go, you, shippy, pull in this way. And we have one of those talking tugboats like in the kids' kids shows that we have. Talking tugboat can come along. I'm talking Tom Tugboat here to dock you. Uh, the availability of truckers a thousand miles inland. Uh, so these are intricate, complex. Oh, issues. you know what else would help with um, the availability of truckers? Not forcing vaccine mandates on truckers who don't want vaccine mandates and are prepared to quit. How about that? That's just another idea. But that hasn't stopped us from taking them head on. And what's great about this infrastructure deal is even as we work the short term issues, partnering with the private sector to try to unclog some of this, uh, uh, the, these issues, we also now have the tools to do so much more. You know, some of what we've been working on in our department is designed to make it easier for goods to move through the country. For example, I recently approved a grant that would go to an inland port in uh, near serving the port of Savannah in Georgia. So the idea is you get all the containers in, and if it's too difficult or complex or takes too long to sort them in the port, just move them out of the port inland to where you have more space uh, and an easier ability to sort them to get them onto the trains and trucks. That's an example. Do you know that ports have been asking for this for months and months and months, and he just approved it? No, they, they have been asking for so many different things to be done to, in, to ensure that the containers and the supply chain could move more, more, more quickly. And as always with this administration, months and months and months of bureaucratic red tape and environmental studies and environmental impact studies, which, again, you heard today the White House saying they want to do an environmental impact study and possibly shutting down a, a, a pipeline. You heard that today from the White House. They might be, in fact, doing a, 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 a study on shutting down the, the Canada pipeline. Yeah, they might be doing that. Why not? I mean, what the heck, right? Why not shut it down? And I also think, too, if you're if you're keeping score at home, do they have any plans to fix anything? I mean, they rattle off things. Nonsense. But do they actually have a plan to fix anything, whether it's gas prices or anything else? Huh? Maybe Biden can yell about that. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Grumpy can yell. I'd like to ask you real quick, sir, where, where do you stand? You said last week uh, that this report about uh, migrant families at the border getting payments uh, was garbage. No, I didn't uh, say that. Let's get were, it straight. You were, said everybody coming across the border gets five hundred, four hundred fifty thousand dollars. So the number was what you had a problem. The number I was referring to. Okay. Now here's the thing. Sure. If in fact. Because of the, the outrageous behavior of the last administration, you coming across the border, whether it was legal or illegal, and you lost your child, you lost your child, it's gone. You deserve some kind of compensation, no matter what the circumstance. What that will be, I have no idea. Why is he yelling? I have no idea. Why does, yes. why does he yell like that, huh? Negotiating a settlement. Why does he yell? You lost your child. You lost my pudding. If you lost my place in line at the salad bar, I'm gonna be very, very upset. If you lost my socks again, where are my slippers? You lost my. You lost my slippers. Where are my slippers? I need them. All right. Have a great day today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Again, no podcast tomorrow. Have a great day.